0: happening now we'd like to welcome our viewers from across north america and around the world this is the edtech situation room episode 271 for september the 21st 2022. my name is wes fryer i'm coming to you from matthews north carolina just southeast of charlotte where we are now happy residents and getting a little bit more settled in i am a media literacy and robotics middle school teacher at providence day school and I'm joined as always by Dr. Jason Knifer, who is always establishing incredible credibility with us all as an audience with the Montana flag in the background and a very formidable stack of paper analog books right there. So Dr. Nifer, how goes the reading on the book stack?
1: Well, I, I will say that there's no way I will get through even the books I own now in my natural life, and I buy enough of them that uh, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I will say that uh, I can't remember what the exact quotation was, but um, uh, uh, buying books that you don't intend on reading right away is like an investment in, in not being bored in the future. So I'm going to take it for that. And um, I will say that although I have a Kindle and I love my Kindle very much, um uh, and I have an old-fashioned E-ing Kindle that is, is pretty great. Um, I still love a good, good paper book, too. So I am I also enjoy a, a, a record every once in a while, to an LP, if you will. But yes, that's me. And hey, I am Jason Neifer. I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus, and for the first time in three weeks... I am back in Missoula, Montana, Uh, so I'm excited to be here. Um, The snow, no, not snow, the smoke is gone uh, from Missoula, Montana, and the temperatures have been chilling out a little bit, so I am very excited by the notion that we may get a real fall here, and uh, Montana is a four-season state, it's one one of the best things about living in Big Sky Country, and I've been a little concerned in the last couple of years because of the number of times when... Um, a really hot summer, basically just converted to winter and we like lost our fall. But mm-hmm. That's not the case here. So super excited and and really um, looking forward to the changing seasons. And, and for
0: those of you not watching the video version and listening to the audio, which I don't know how you do that because somebody hasn't moi, published those in a while. Not only is the smoke on, the hair is gone. So have you had the experience of feeling lightheaded and just like a little disoriented with your the mane being you know sort of shorn from your your body
1: well my natural uh posture is to be confused so uh that that's something that i i have to own on a daily basis but yeah it's it's been interesting and and i have to say i was really leery about cutting it off because i would grown it for so long it was two and a half years uh, to almost three years of you know pretty uh stunning hair growth and i have to say I'm happy I cut it off. So um, I've I've been uh, it is it is way grayer than a uh, pre cut. In fact, I have a photo from uh, it was February 29th, Leap Year Day in 2020, when I last uh, cut my hair and noticeably grayer. Which of course I'm going to blame on COVID. But um, yeah, wow, uh, big difference. But yeah, I'm very happy with my cut and um, I've been meeting like crazy. I'm, my travel schedule started back up again, and it's just exciting to. I'm still wearing a mask everywhere, and in fact, I was at a, a superintendent, uh, um, uh, uh, some superintendent meetings the last couple of days with the uh, wonderful school ministers in Montana group, and um, only one in the whole, the whole time area that's wearing a mask. And that's, you know, I felt a little self-conscious about that when it first happened, but you know, as I've mentioned numerous times, I'm immunocompromised, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. So that's the way it's going to have to be for me for at least a little while longer. Well,
0: the Apple Watch won't do this, but somehow you should have some kind of smart uh, smart wearable gear that will track your gray hairs because it could be <laughs> that you put all those on after assuming the mantle of leadership there at uh, the Digital Academy. So who knows? Could but be. I, I don't think somebody's created that kind of a, of a smart device. So any developers out there ready for a good idea to run with, you know, tracking gray hair, um, you know, graphing it. I'm sure somebody's interested in that, but.
1: Yep, totally. What are we going to talk about
0: tonight besides hair and weather?
1: Well, I know the people are listening for weather hair updates, but the Tech Situation Room is about tech. And here we are uh, a month into school for a lot of places across the United States, three weeks into school. For a lot of schools in Montana, and there's a lot of tech news, and what we do here at the EdTech Situation Room is take a look at the headlines, and we shoot them through the Eduprism in hopes of, of, of helping you find some clarity in all the changes that are happening around the world, and tonight, we have kind of our standard categories, mostly uh, Google, uh, YouTube, social media, the tech correction, um, some platform news, uh, hardware news, software news, AI Uh, which is getting some increasingly interesting articles um, uh, uh, around the world. And uh, we'll end tonight with our Geeks of the Week, which is our chance to share something a little geeky that's going on in our lives. And I have a whole story to go with mine, so uh, we'll want to spend a little bit extra time um, doing that. So, Dr. Fryer, is there any particular place you would like to start tonight?
0: You know, I'd love for you actually to start, if you would, with the YouTube – The YouTube, uh, whatever feature or option that it's going to have for ad free uh, YouTube with Google, that just sounds fantastic. Although I guess it's just it's going to be within apps, but uh, you want to do that one. I saw that one prior to the show.
1: Yeah, so a couple articles here, uh, both from Chrome Unboxed and also The Verge, that YouTube is launching an ad-free video player for education, and it's around creators and institutions that use the platform for educational content, and YouTube says it's launching, uh, this is from The Verge, an embeddable video player for education apps that removes ads, external links, and recommendations so viewers can avoid distractions, and I believe that um, it's already, it's either almost already or it's going to be launched in tools like uh, Edpuzzle, Google Classroom, um, the Purdue Global School, and Purdue University, and I think start to expand over time. But in my mind, this really does do a lot to help YouTube uh, cement its reputation as maybe the ultimate e learning tool available.
0: Well, just today, I've been uh, teaching in my computer apps class um, uh, using Google Sites, and we're, we're going to build portfolio websites. But um, as we're talking about videos, um, we were on laptops today, and uh, we, we learned about uBlock Origin. And I just lamented the fact that on the iPad, there is no uBlock Origin, you know, Chrome extension or, or function. So I think that's really exciting. And that's also, well, it the article says Google Classroom is going to be one of the supported uh applications so that's fantastic to to be able to share a video and then have assurance that we're not going to see a see a bunch of ads uh within the Google Classroom environment that is absolutely fantastic and and huge i mean i'm i'm not going to leap for joy and, and and dance a dance right now but i'm tempted to because that's that's so good
1: so well and i would hopefully- I would Hold also
0: add George really quick. We're just, uh, Peggy, just check. check
1: oh, okay. Hey Peggy. Good to see you. And uh, actually, it's been a couple weeks. So great to see you uh, with us tonight. Uh, and you don't have to apologize for being late when you start, we start. So all good. <laughs> so um, one other thing about YouTube, I, I have, and, and I know Dr. Fryer now is also a YouTube premium subscriber. So he'll know what I'm talking about tonight. But one of the things that, it, that I will tell you has, is, 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 uh, really been a a, very impactful for me is that i'm a youtube premium subscriber i pay $9.99 a month in my personal account there are no advertisements ever right they can't take out like if someone's dropping a promo code or doing an an in-video ad that's nature or natural to the video but in every other way possible the ads go away and i have to say it, 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 it not only is amazing from the standpoint of uh, uh, you know, using it for, for education, it's made YouTube a part of my regular media diet because I don't get turned off by the ads. And there are some um, uh, indications that YouTube is going to keep pumping more and more ads into this because it helps uh, their bottom line. And as people become more desensitized to ads, that, that's a real concern and issue. But I can't, if you've never experienced a YouTube free environment, I'm sorry, an ad for YouTube environment, you know, that $9.99, even for a single month. And I'm pretty sure you could probably get a 30 day free trial or something if you see oh, you. Out. It's more than that, I think,
0: because I've got mine going now. Um, I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, I think, that something had pushed me over the edge. And so, um, yeah, I'm on premium and I don't think I'm going to be charged. Yes, I have a free trial until December the 8th. So I think I have like an, so is that? Is that three? How much is that? Three months? I think it's like a three-month free trial. So, uh, I I need to start watching more Apple TV YouTube on Apple TV Um, because I I I had mentioned at one point on the show I'd bought a Raspberry Pi and done a whole bunch of geeky stuff that's not really my 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 bag to try to install this thing called Pi Hole, which is for the Raspberry Pi and it's to try and you know block all your ads, but it's just the, the YouTube ad folks are t- so savvy that, that uh, basically can't be done. And it makes me wonder how you, you block origin manages to do it. Yeah. But it is uh, yeah. It's a wonderful thing to escape the ads. And I mean, let's face it folks, some things are worth paying for, you know? Um, yeah. Our and I both subscribe to several journal journalism uh, publications, you know, several newspapers and um, some other things, you know, I know you support some folks on Patreon Um these are these are things I think we need to normalize. Uh, the creator economy is really important. It's you know made vibrant by the fact that creators can make money, and some of that does come from ad revenue from YouTube, but it also comes from you know people sponsoring with Patreon and things like that. So I think all those things are important, and it's it's uh it's good for us to to think about that kind of shift too. Obviously, everybody and their dog wants a subscription so that you're going to have that, you know, recurring revenue. Uh, but it is a different day when, you know, you could just be paying a dollar to your favorite podcast and no, you can't do that yet for the edtech situation. I guess you kind of can because we have a, a sub stack. We haven't published for about a month and a half, but um, you know, anyway, we, we're not dabbling in the monetization at this point, but we are supporting creators. And I think, All of that is really good. And that's a good reminder that since I'm paying for my YouTube premium subscription, I need to make sure I'm enjoying it. Or at least I'm enjoying my free trial before I would have to start paying in December. Totally.
1: Well, and then let me make one other comment about new features. Uh, This is more in detail on uh, Chrome Unboxed on September 13th. But the other... um, Uh, The other uh, announcement is that there will be uh, some new features available inside of YouTube, including the ability to stop and pause videos and ask quiz questions and other ways that you can put things kind of over... Um, uh, overlay over the video, and also you can create uh, courses in YouTube now that you can actually sell, so it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a content creator way to be able to sell those pieces, and I can tell you as a distance learning guy myself, um, uh, I help run Montana State Virtual School and have been doing so uh, really well at going back uh 13 years, 12 years, 13 years this January, oh my. And what uh, I can tell you is that there's pretty persuasive research that says that you know watching a video straight up for 10, 15, 20 minutes is not particularly useful uh, from a memory standpoint. It's it's not an ideal way to learn. It doesn't mean you can't, it just means it's not ideal. And certainly if if you're not super engrossed in the subject, that's one of the issues. But one of the ways you can help increase uh, 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 is interacting with the material somehow. Now by asking things like simple quiz questions uh, to see if you, your understanding is there. Now, there are amazing third-party tools that already do this. Edpuzzle is an example of that, which is now gonna be uh, ad-free with the YouTube piece. But also there's open source software. One of them is H5P, which is a wonderful open source project that creates digital learning interactives. And you can actually put quiz overlays over YouTube videos. And even if someone gets it wrong, send them back to the point where it discusses the, the, the right answer to that particular question. You can do really cool stuff. So exciting that Google's headed in this direction, but, uh, you know, this is not new feature, uh, functionality and features by any stretch of the imagination. I am excited, however, to see that Google and YouTube are going down this direction.
0: It is a bit of a Sherlocking of some functions yes.
1: by by
0: Google. And uh, we, we've mentioned that on the show before where, you know, Apple integrated in Sherlock some features that folks had, had developed as third-party solutions. And, oh, now it became built in. Um, I think that's incredibly exciting, and I'm actually wanting, on my own time, of course, to develop um, a series of online courses. I was looking at the platform Teachable, and I still think Mm -hmm. I might utilize that. It's a really pretty slick-looking platform. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this in my Geek of the Week, but I'm going to do an iPad digital storytelling workshop here in about a month, and uh, I'm really looking forward to... Sort of re energizing my digital storytelling advocacy. And I've, there's a, lot, a number of things that are just ripe for online courses. But I'm excited to hear about that with YouTube. I think, again, I'm a playing with media guy. So it's fun to, to play with media and experiment. And I think that, um, you know, as teachers and educators, I, I remember Tim Wilson, who's an, an Apple Distinguished Educator, I heard him years ago, probably around two thousand and seven, talk about how at that time the economy wasn't really set up for a teacher sort of put out their shingle, so to speak, like if he's a chemistry teacher, and then just do your shtick. But, um, you know, there's more and more opportunities and, and more and more platforms that are more mature and robust to be able to do that kind of thing. And I'm excited. I've seen Tony Vincent, you know, do some different things with online courses that he offers. And the other thing that i would mentioned in the context of your HP5 and, and your recommendations is if you are at all interested in hybrid learning, online learning, blended learning tools, the Moodle moot that Montana has and just the expertise of Jason and Mike Agustinelli alone, but the others involved in the Digital Media Academy and NCCE, it's absolutely incredible. And I'm not doing this to just blow sunshine Jason's way here. Uh, like, seriously, the the amount of experience and the wisdom, as well as the geeky tools <laughs> that are in use at the, at the Digital Academy and the way that they've curated them and filtered them, it's just—I mean, I don't know who else is. You, I mean, you know, because you go to whatever that—I forget the acronym—but you know that online, the online school consortium, and you're, you're, you're into that community far more than I am. But a little bit of dabbling and and uh, learning that I've done there has been phenomenal. And actually, we need to get the Moodle mood date, Jason, because that would sure be a cool trip for us to make um next summer assuming we could do that with school schedules but
1: well and i'm i'm not ready to quite announce specifics yet but there may be a complimentary conference um uh complimentary as in like a complements the 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 moot uh the beginning of that week in missoula related to our ed ready work so stay tuned but were yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful it's it's the best small conference I've ever been to uh, by far uh, actually um, you know I have my preferences about bigger conferences but uh, the mountain mood is, is is pretty great and it's run by maybe the nicest people on earth so that that also helps uh, quite and, a bit as well and
0: reportedly the the breweries and all that are, are, are pretty you know that, that's a good element I've I've only experienced the online version of that so I would love to experience the face to face. Version with uh, all the networking op- options that, that come with face-to-face learning too. Absolutely. Okay, so um, why don't I pick up? Uh, this is kind of an interesting one, and I thought I had put this in um, a few weeks ago, and anyway, I didn't. It's this is an Atlantic article, and this is this is like a almost a year old. Um, it's by a guy named Ian Bagost, and it's called People Aren't Meant to Talk This Much. And one of the things that I'll point out about this article, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jason, but some articles will have a headline, and then the actual title that's coded in the HTML title tag is different. Yeah. And so, I, and that's an SEO, a search engine optimization thing, I guess. So the, the coded you know, title of the article is Fix Facebook by Making It More Like Google+. This is a fascinating article., uh, If you listen to it, I think I, I did this weekend, it was like thirty maybe thirteen minutes or something uh, to listen to it on pocket, which I sometimes do. Um, but the um, real premise here is, and I don't think I mean, it's I don't think there's any way this can happen, but he basically wants uh, Facebook to be re-engineered and all the other social media platforms so we don't subject ourselves and our in <coughs> our minds and unleash all the dynamics that happen when you have a a potentially unlimited uh, global audience. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Clay Shirky, and Here Comes Everyone, and he talks about, you know, communication that's one to a defined number, which is what email is, because you have to have people's addresses. It can be forwarded on, but still, there's a number of addresses that are there, versus a social media post on a network like Twitter or or YouTube or Facebook, where you have no idea. I mean, again, assuming that you don't put restrictions on the sharing of it, like friends only or something. Um, and so he says that Google Plus was being designed in a very, very smart way. And I've never read about this before with something called Dunbar's Number, There was a British psychologist, Robin Dunbar, 30 years ago, that talked about the uh, being a limit to how many folks you could have meaningful relationships with, and basically that's kind of. And then it also he doesn't use the phrase, but context collapse is an important thing because, you know, here on the EdTech Situation Room, we're going to talk mainly educational technology and, and tech news. Jason and I could put on other hats and talk barbecue. We could talk. You know uh you know social studies history sometimes these things bleed over but you know there's a there's context collapse and so sometimes that makes communication challenging you know because when you go to a classroom you kind of know the context that you're in and, and anyway social media and the the internet's not that way so i found it to be a fascinating article not necessarily a practical one saying hey this is what the tech correction this is what we need to do but you know, the constraints around sharing are, are interesting. Twitter, I think we shared this article, uh, aren't they piloting, um, doing away with the 240 character limit? They've also talked about piloting the edit, like letting you edit tweets, which right. is really, I mean, th- those are the kind of basics that I kind of wish they wouldn't mess with because it sort of defines the platform and the communication. But um, it's a worthwhile article. It brings up some things that I hadn't thought of before. Um, But I think it also, it just kind of laments this whole idea that we have influencers. And as someone who's written books and who wants to write more books, I mean, that's one of the things you want to do as an author, right, is reach people. And so to me, it just, it doesn't sound like something that a free society would do as far as having regulations say, well, you know, all platforms are going to have to take consideration Dunbar's number when they, when they design them. But there is a new platform and I'll have to get the name from my daughter uh, it allow it tells you when to share each day. Do you know what this is? Having, uh, you know, teenage, well, we have one teenager and then a 22 year old in the house still. It's, uh, I'll find out what it is. But anyway, it's very popular with the girls and they, um, you know, wherever you are, basically, when it tells you, you have to share. And that's the only time you share all, all day long. So it's just, i um, different twist on, you know, live streaming, I guess, or it's not streaming, but, but live sharing. So it's, we're going to continue to see iteration in social media space with, um, you know, different constraints and and things like that. And I'd never heard of that. So have you heard of Dunbar's number before? And uh, do you, do you miss Google Plus, Jason? Do you wish that your life was filled with Google Plus circles um, as it might've been once upon a time?
1: You know, Wes, I have so many thoughts here that I'm scared this is going to turn into um, Google Plus uh, a weekly here. But a couple things. The first one is that I really like Google Plus, but I, and in fact, I ran into the slides the other day. I gave a presentation at NCCE a couple months after Google Plus was announced, and I said, it is stunningly good but too complex, and I thought the only thing that would survive from Google Plus is Hangouts, which as it turns out, I was absolutely correct, right? And that it, that it would go away. But that notion of being able to confine the, um, uh, you know, where your posts go is, is absolutely brilliant. And it also uh, handles several concerns that I have about my own social media use. Um, the reality is, and, and Wes probably knows this from interacting with me on Facebook, Facebook is about people for me and not about my work. Um, I I sometimes talk about like I I got a promotion recently. I I talked about that on Facebook. I post photos from work because I'd like to amuse myself that way. But it's not really work platform for me. And although a lot of my my colleagues are friends of mine on there, I don't talk about work. I don't work. It's just not my thing to, to talk about the 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 details of work, but on 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 Twitter, it's really all work for me. And in fact, I try to stay away from politics on Twitter for no other reason than I have a look at what our colleagues on there, the diversity of views that I don't want want them or need them to read those things. And you know, but at the same time, there's content that I clearly like sharing with both. Uh, a good example of this is I posted a photo last week after I got my haircut, and, 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 and maybe an unfortunately large number were vested in the haircut conversation with me. Maybe that says something bad about me, but the bottom line is, is that I ended up sharing that photo on both personal and professional uh locations and this notion of this is for my family this is for my family and friends this is for my friends family work this is only for work i think it's pretty brilliant and you could create some relatively complex uh pieces too to make that happen um but the other the thing you mentioned there which i think is pretty interesting is the idea of dunbar's number um and it's not listed on their Wikipedia page, but uh, there was a social network that was I, maybe based in the Dunbar's number. It was called Path. And I happen to know about Path uh, in part because uh, one of their co-founders, David Morin, is a Capital High School graduate uh, uh, of, of Lovely Capital High School. Great guy, smart guy, uh, really thoughtful um, entrepreneur. He was an early Facebook uh, employee. Um, But they, he helped develop this path notion, which limited um, you initially to 50 friends. And then, you know, uh, uh, the, the magic number here, Dunbar's number is 150. And they said uh, at the time, I believe that you would do that um, uh, uh, based on more quality social interaction. If you're forced to limit your friends to a smaller amount, it's going to make you more personal in the way you share and create richer connections. And eventually path um uh, uh well he originally was was given a pretty he- healthy offer from google i believe and then um it was eventually purchased by another company and then shut down three years later so sadly not around anymore but i think that's something that to be honest um I, it makes a lot of sense and i think this article about limiting i mean part of the would would be tough for me right now is the fact that um um, you know, I have 900 friends on Facebook. It's a variety of folks. I generally don't befriend people as much as I accept friend invitations on there. Um, and, you know, and if I loosely know them, I like sharing information. I like being connected with people on there. But I think that this makes an awful lot of sense. And so um, this notion of limiting your social time to make it richer or more interactive or less UGG. But I also really like the headline here, that people aren't meant to talk this much. Um, I have a former student that said that she pretty regularly takes uh, Facebook breaks and says that uh, in the last time she she left Facebook, she said that, um, you know, I just don't think everyone was meant to know what everyone else was thinking all the time. And I think there's something to that, right? That, you know, if you think about what has happened in the last 20 years in the United States, you now can access what a vast number of people are thinking in any given time. And we have created the internet of Me right? That it you can uh, uh, publish to your heart's content. You know, uh, Wes and I have both spent a healthy amount of our careers trying to encourage people to say that there's a lot of power in that and we should be empowering our, 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 our um, uh, students to tell their stories in this way. And I'm excited to hear what's coming later tonight in the Geek of the Week to tease uh, your announcement later, Dr. Fryer. But the bottom line is, is that it also comes at a huge risk, right? And it goes back to that you know, with great power comes great responsibility, which is both a, a FDR thing and a Spider-Man thing. So, you know, that's something that we need to be very mindful of. So again, I had a lot of comments here. Uh, I knew I would prattle on. So uh, thank you for listening to me uh, talk on about this information.
0: You know, folks can are, are getting what they're paying for here. Are,
1: <laughs> they, they are.
0: Maybe even more. So that's one of the nice things about this podcast and this format, you know, we're gathered here and uh, we're going to talk about articles and sometimes we're, gonna, we're going to rant and other times we'll philosophize. So anyway, that definitely fit in sort of the category of a kind of a philosophy article a little bit uh, that touched on tech. But there's some other ones like that. And I'll have, to find, I'll have to find the other one that's just super long. It's a super long read, but it's one of these that really, anyway, starts to touch on some of the core ideas about sharing and the Internet. And I find those to be, you know, intriguing. And they also have relevance as we talk about the tech correction. And, uh, you know, how possibly we might want to structure our uh, regulations around technology.
1: Dr. Knifer, are you
0: using some fancy camera? Because it seems to have, like, on its own oh. in and out. What's going on?
1: Yeah, this is – it actually mimics an, a, a new um, iPad OS feature, but it's trying to keep my head in the center of the frame. Yeah. Like what, what is it? This is, this is that XSplit yeah. VCam that I use to do, also do virtual backgrounds. Um, but in this case, it is, uh, just attempting to keep my head in frame. So have I you it off. as a geek of the week, I have in the past, but I can certainly put the link back in. I, it's, uh, I believe if you, if you, uh, search around enough, you can get a license for a lifetime license for, for like 25 bucks. But, okay. So it's software only. Yeah. Yeah. That's doing that. It's pretty cool. And you know, in my case, obviously, in fact, I didn't even bother to get my camera, uh, pointed correctly because, uh, oh, um, Oh, okay. I start talking and I I I distracted myself. Um, so hold on, coming back. Frozen. Awkwardly. Tell me the name of Here it. Here comes. There we go. XSplit VCam is the name of the software.
0: Is but is this the one that was uh, only Windows?
1: Or- uh, no, it's now on Mac too.
0: Okay. Wow. All right. Very good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay. I'll drop the link in. What else would you like to talk about tonight, sir? We are halfway through the show.
1: Well, uh, let's see. Um, Let's go ahead and do, there's a variety of interesting Google things that are going on uh, right now. Um, The first one I want to talk about is from a Verge article from today, although this news is uh, a couple of, of weeks old. There is a new Chromebook in town, and it's called framework and the framework uh is a a company that's working directly with google they have a partnership together and they have something called the framework laptop chromebook edition and what framework is is a user upgradable laptop that allows you to switch parts in and out um to upgrade the device and um uh, uh, many, many, many parts of the framework laptop are usable, custo- are user customizable, and also user uh, serviceable. Um, you can have different kinds of ports, including um, uh, USB-C, USB-A, microSD, HDMI, and DisplayPort. Uh, you can put on uh, uh, high store or high-speed storage or Ethernet on on the the device and you can switch out the battery, you can, I believe, go to different uh, screens. The idea here um, uh, uh, is that you can choose um, uh, pretty much all the insides of it and then be able to customize it um, to your heart's content. And so, I'm enormously interested in this because uh, this means that I can get a high-end processor in a Chromebook for sure, uh, which is really, I think the difference between Chromebook uh, okay to good and and Chromebook good to awesome is that you need to have a lot of RAM and a high, uh, a high-end processor doesn't need to be an i7, although it sure helps, but the typical i3 processor available in 2022 is pretty great. But the fact that it's user customizable and upgradable uh, it, it's just really awesome to me, and it's a smart, uh, it's a smart, uh, a decision on Google's part to work with a company that's being innovative in this way. This is
0: unprecedented because before this, hasn't every single Chromebook just been like, okay, it's it's dead. I mean, not dead now, but it's it's not supported anymore. Just you know, toss it and get something else. I mean, have you heard of of upgradable Chromebook?
1: No. The, the very early Chromebooks um, were able to, like many of them had user upgradable RAM and storage, right? And, and that was useful. The, the, the Acer C720 days, which was kind of the first mass appeal Chromebook. And in fact, uh, I still have one of those um with an i3 chip in it they sold a very small number that had an i3 chip in there and i upgraded with chrome os flex and it actually could be a daily driver for me it's good enough it's a little 11 inch chromebook it's great size it's a it's a great daily carry but um the uh that has gone away and part of the reason why is because it's a lot cheaper to manufacture everything on the same board so ram is soldered in storage is soldered in and that also means you can't upgrade any of those things Um, And particularly RAM makes a huge difference Uh, four gigabytes is not enough anymore. Even if you're just a typical user, eight, 16, even 32, both are quite reasonable and you may not be able to every day all the time notice the subtleties, but if you're in any way doing an intensive process on your machine, more RAM is going to make it feel a lot faster and a lot snappier. So super awesome. Um, The kit sells right now for a thousand dollars. That is a little on the stiff side for me. And in fact, every premium Chromebook I've ever owned, I've just waited to buy it used or on on sale since the high-end Chromebooks tend to end up uh, selling cheaper in the aftermarket. Um, But I am very interested in this, and it may get my support. Super cool. All right, what else? Well, let's see here. Um, Speaking of Chromebooks, Chrome Unbox reported the very sad news uh, last week that um the uh, pixel book pixel team over at google has been shuttered and uh for those of you unaware of the history of uh these particular laptops uh this is the chromebook pixel um which is uh not quite a daily driver for me but i, I like this platform quite a bit but google going back to the first days of chromebooks always had uh, some Chromebook for sale there's been uh, a did, did you get that at, at a
0: pawn shop too or
1: something yes as a matter of fact um, uh, uh, in fact I've picked up well I, I I know my used Chromebooks let's put it that way but uh, there are uh, I've owned every edition of these except the most recent one and I've loved them um, and they were working on one. In fact, they mentioned this summer at Google I.O. that the Chromebook team was working on a new piece of Google-based hardware. And every one of their their, their hardware uh, experiments in the Chromebook world has been killer. But uh, there's been a round of uh, layoffs at Google. They shut down several projects that uh, weren't meeting their strategic needs or whatever corporate speak for wasn't going to make them enough money for the effort. Um, So that was one of them. So uh, goodbye, Pixelbook. Um, uh, Great uh, uh, set of reference Chromebooks from our friends at Google.
0: Please don't read into this uh, that I'm giving any kind of investing advice or financial advice because I am not a financial advisor. Uh, But I had heard Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, talk a few months ago about slowdowns and anticipated recession. I mean, nobody that I know of has a, a perfect crystal ball to know exactly what's going to happen, but you may have heard the news today about the you know hike again in interest rates, and you know the Fed chair talking about they they're just going to be aggressive, and you know Wall Street was going crazy. I don't know. I with Google doing a cutback that 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 seems like a pretty big deal because Google had seemed to realize that Apple's control of both the software and the hardware was a key part of the secret sauce of why Apple's able to do such amazing things. So the fact that they've dumped their own Chromebook, um, you know, we've seen Google, of course, abandon all kinds of different projects and that's just sort of the, the churn of the Google innovation engine, but interesting. That, that may be part of what they're needing to do or perceiving that they need to do in these economic times. So, um, Peggy's asking a question, Jason, can you, Try out the laptops you've gotten to make sure they work at the pawn shop before you. Yeah, the-
1: I, I have. ever I probably bought two or three there. One I flipped uh, just because uh, a couple days later, uh, someone I knew was looking for a cheap laptop. And so I, I, I refurbished it for her and sold it. And then otherwise, yeah, that's, that's generally what I do. And it's for things like, especially when you're buying a used Chromebook, you want to make sure it's not locked into someone's network right? Like I've actually purchased uh, two Chromebooks on eBay before that one of them was actually owned by Google. It was, uh, uh, you had to sign into Google, uh, uh, google.com um, uh, to get to that. So that was clearly one that was uh, taken from a Google employee or maybe sold by a Google employee. And then I had, I also purchased another one on eBay that was owned by a school district. And I actually contacted the school district to let them know that I purchased it online and they actually had, uh, had me ship it to them and then they wrote me a check for double what i paid for it because they were looking to investigate uh, uh where that that particular chromebook had gone so wow um and i ended up not taking the money from them because i just appreciated what they wanted to do but um yeah that's i that's one of the things i've done with uh uh particularly with chromebooks online wow wow
0: okay well i know that um <laughs> my wife is yearning for her chromebook day she she has a very old windows pc that her new uh, public school district has given her and i've i've thought about i don't know if i'll play with this uh just to see if we could take chromium or um what's the newer chromium that's the project you can run off the usb uh chrome
1: os flex
0: yes chrome os flex and so just seeing hey could we could we boot off of that cuz you know Everything she's doing is in the browser, but anyway, that probably wouldn't work because they don't give out the Wi-Fi passwords. There is no guest account, so oh anyway, yeah, that probably wouldn't work at school. But anyway, Chrome, uh, Chrome is solid, and uh, the continued development that we see in operating systems and platforms it's it's just so important because the security environment is so hostile. We continue to just see more and more uh, threats, and um, I still haven't. I think that did I tell my story about my fishing stuff on the show? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I mean, hey, I, I uh, didn't 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 fall for it today. But today I got a text message, uh, you know, sent to twenty people, um, and it was. Uh, I thought this was some pretty pretty decent social engineering. It said, "Your payment for September was received. Thanks. This is our little reward for you." And then here's the link. Well, guess what? I'm not clicking on that. So anyway, tons of. Danger around us, ladies and gentlemen, and we need secure operating systems. So, yay, Google, keep pushing the envelope as well as Apple and others to, um, you know, make sure. Oh, my app, my Google speaker is now defining pushing the envelope because it. You know. <laughs> I it said her name, so. Okay. Um, let's see. I think I actually did put in a couple articles. This one was an interesting one. I put this under social media. This is from Futurism yesterday. Mark Zuckerberg is in big, big trouble. Um, and this one probably could, I don't know where exactly this fits, but um, Zuckerberg is evidently not as wise a CEO as he probably needs to be t- to have the net worth that he, that he had once, and um, the subtitle here is he's lost a staggering amount of money so far this year. He, he has lost his fortune uh, $71 billion in the last year. So now he only has $55.9 billion, um, and he's just the 20th richest person in the world. At one point, he was, I think, number three uh, with twice the net worth. And the article talks about the pivot that Facebook has had to Meta, and there's really not anything that's gotten people I know of super excited yet. This is like the ready player one future that, you know, hey, we're all going to be living sizable portions of our lives in, in a virtual reality space. Um, the article mentions that uh, Facebook or Meta, via their Oculus platform, is about to release a next generation headset. I think that they, was, they did have the Oculus 2, the Oculus 2 Quest or something. And so this will be the third generation. But, um, you know, pretty interesting. Um, TikTok is continuing to be ascendant. Um, I've got another article, I think, about TikTok to mention. But um, Facebook, you know, is is a huge influence, a huge force. They're going to be a huge factor in our elections, which I think are about seven weeks away in the United States. I'm sure we're going to be talking about a number of articles related to the weaponization, weaponization of social media, the manipulation of folks, uh, the inability of Of Facebook and other platforms to deal with, you know, just the sheer volume of of content and the, you know, moderation and policing challenges that it poses. But uh, that's a staggering amount of money to lose. Um, Has anybody that we know of ever lost that much money in a year? I I don't think that they have. I mean, I know that's on paper, but um, anyway, it's, you know, there's plenty of room for innovation and we need to continue. Part of the reason we want to you know, help students understand the the landscape of information and and technology and social media is hopefully so they can um, navigate it well for themselves personally, but also so that we can have innovators that are going to be able to uh, create new platforms, reinvent things. And it just... There was some, we we have a, a series of entrepreneurs that come in and, and talk to our seniors in entrepreneurial class, and so I've gotten to hear a couple founders talk, and I heard one this week who talked about founders syndrome. I think is what it's called, and it's where you really don't have the skills to continue to take the company to the next level. Uh, you've built something, you've started it, but you you know sometimes people can't step back. Um, the way that Zuckerberg I guess structured Facebook, and I, again I'm not a financial guru about this, but he did it in such a way that he maintains the majority ownership and a vast amount of stock. But anyway, that's a heck of a lot of money to lose. So it may remind you of uh, your own Dogecoin investments, Doctor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which sadly, well, again, I'm. St- I even if I lose everything, I've lost a hundred bucks. But I will say that uh, my my account, which is one once worth a fair about a coin, is down to just five hundred dollars in value. So uh-huh. uh, my retirement bet. Is sadly not going to pay off for me. So good thing you have other options. You've diversified. Yes, it, yes. So I've been sa- savvily investing elsewhere.
0: Excellent. All right. What else would you like to talk about?
1: Um, well, let's see here. Um, we can stick with more Google stuff. I didn't mean to de- derail your your oh, stuff. Yeah, sure. Let me get through a couple of these things. Um, this is just a quick one that um, I will say I want to mention because uh, Dr. Fry and I were talking about cell phones pre-show. Uh, that uh, uh, Google's working on a small screen pixel. And um, unfortunately, small screen isn't as small as some people uh, may wa- may hope or want. Um, but I wanted to mention that I do think that Apple would probably end up doing very well with a small screen phone. Cause I think there's something to the small screen phone experience. And um, I, one of the reasons why I stayed on Android as long as I did is because there were a number of experiments in small screen phones. Um, this is probably my favorite one. It's a, um, this is a Palm device that, that was sold by Verizon. It wasn't really a phone. You had to use it. Um, uh, um Uh, uh, you had to use it uh, in context of a phone. So it was like a companion device. But if this were a a phone size, I would carry this around with me uh, uh, as a daily driver. Um, You know, I've got headphones uh, to listen to things. Um, I've got a tablet if I want to watch something long-term. But for what I generally do on a phone, a small phone would probably do it just fine for me. So I just wanted to, you know, I know that Tim Cook is a regular listener of the show, is friend of the show. Um, so, Tim, buddy, pal, if you could go ahead and make the you know the 3.2 inch iPhone with all the pizzazz that the larger device has, I, I'd appreciate it, sir.
0: It is kind of confusing getting new new uh, cases because actually I did have to get a new case last yeah. night for my purple three camera 14 here. So uh, yeah, getting 400 for my XR from T-Mobile. Um, was uh, double what I could have gotten on Swappa, and uh, I gave in to the temptation. So I will be reporting in. Actually, I can do a, a quick one here. Um, we didn't have an Apple category, but I put it under hardware. Uh, this is an Ars Technica article from today. I-14 and 14 Pro Review. A picture is worth a thousand words. Um, I'm not in love with this but uh are you familiar with the dynamic island on the i4 on
1: on the i've I-4th? seen yes i've seen the, the 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 coverage whatever i mean it's just not a full <laughs> not
0: the dynamic island what an example of coming up with some real salesy name but yeah, I've just started to play a little bit with the uh, the cameras, but uh, great phone. And the the point that that article makes, that this is also exciting to me personally for getting it because the XR is a few generations back, not too horribly back. It's not like an iPhone Seven or something. But um, it says that you know we're we're still calling these smartphones, and we almost should call them smart cameras uh, because there's there's not just a ton of additional innovation. I mean, the SOS feature that you can get on this thing is pretty amazing in terms of being able to be in the middle of nowhere, pointed at satellites. It tells you where to, where to point it. And you can you know call for help if you're in the middle of Montana, away from cell phone coverage. I think that's pretty innovative. Not that that's going to probably be a scenario that's going to affect a lot of us. It might Dr. Knifer because he sometimes is uh, trekking across the, the great state of Montana, but <clears throat> I'm excited to really explore those, uh, those iPhone uh, features. Peggy has. Requested the Canva article, Jason. So would you mind talking about that one?
1: Yeah, not at all. Um, Canva, which is uh, probably, if if I were <laughs> if I were stuck on a desert island with only five web-based tools, uh, the Canva would probably be uh, one of my uh, tools. But uh, Canva announced at. Um, Canva Create, which was a big worldwide event last week. Sadly, I have neither had the time to watch the archive or show up live, you know, I intended to. But they are releasing uh, additional applications to go with their uh, existing, pretty amazing uh, image platform. Uh, And Canva is calling it the visual work suite. And so now they're, uh, in in a lot of ways, it's just rebranding some of the similar tools. But you can do uh, essentially seven things now on Canva. Uh, They have what they call Canva Docs, which is, uh, you know, like Google Docs, but really with more of a design language. Uh, Canva Websites, uh, which is an alternative to Sites, Wix, and Weebly. Canva whiteboards, which is a collaborative whiteboard that you can work on in real time with others across the internet. Um, and then, um, you know, the, all the other tools that already existed social media posts, presentations, uh, video editing, and then. Um, uh, printing services, uh, and the bottom line is is that it continues to be, I think, one of the most powerful tools available on the internet. And I don't care what you what you do in regards to being a uh, 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 a teacher. If you're a teacher administrator, um, uh, it, it's worth your time. Um, free pro accounts for teachers, uh, by signing in with your school domain, your, uh, your school will have to sign up for that to make it happen. But once you're in there, you get free access to pro and there are 60 million photos in their image library, which is a professional, uh, uh, image library number of photos. And so it can also be a wonderful place, uh, for art as well. So yeah, Canva, super sweet.
0: Do student do you have to buy student licenses for students? No,
1: free for uh and and in fact I believe that it hooks right into Office three sixty-five and also Google Classroom as well. And you can use it as a platform for doing things like completing documents worksheet style. So just an incredible set of tools. And um, you know, I will say I was an early Canva user. I I feel very good that I spotted the the uh the quality of this tool. Um, but, uh, even though I have access to the, to the pro version at work, I actually pay them 10 bucks a month because I find that much value in the tool.
0: Well, you know, when you hear folks you respect give endorsements that, that passionate and, uh, persuasive, like you got to pay attention to that. My friend, Cindy Danner-Kuhn, who I think is, well, yeah, she's just stepped down at uh, Kansas State University from doing all their ed tech pre-service teacher, um, Courses has been a Canva fan for a long time, and I had barely dabbled in it. But uh, it's interesting. I need the school where I am now ha, has done, I think, a really great yeoman's job of trying to capture all of the different kinds of digital curriculum and platforms, not really curriculum in terms of textbooks, but different digital tools, and especially subscription based, but even free, you know, that the school is using to let people know. You know a lot of different schools can have different folks from the library people to the technology department to sometimes just departments on their own. Uh, last year we we had licensed uh, We video you know, and, and I didn't learn about that until like December or something like that you know in the semester. Uh, and it was it was for kids that I was teaching. So um, anyway, some it's sometimes there's just not uh, great communication around these things. but it's super interesting that there's a lot of factors to consider. Uh, as far as what you're going to support, because yes, it may be free, but that can mean some overhead for the IT department and for others, especially when it comes to managing accounts and resetting passwords and enabling things and stuff like that. So those are calculations that, that uh, organizations have to make and individuals have to make based on their personal bandwidth and their perception of, you know, what they're going to be able to do and what their priorities are, but definitely a strong endorsement completely, unpaid and uns- unsponsored, ladies and gentlemen. Canva, you know, contrary to popular opinion, is not funding Jason and my, um, you know, barbecue adventures uh, or, or any, any other extracurriculars that we have. So that is a un- unbiased and uncompensated uh, plug for the platform. I think we got time for a few more tools or a few more articles. Sure. Um <laughs> Let me actually let me do this one real quick. Um, this is okay. I put this under tech correction, and this is a gift link um, from September nineteenth. Pentagon opens sweeping review of clandestine psychological operations. Um, this is super interesting because you know, I don't know. This one's probably not. When I get these links that are just too long, gosh, I have to. I've got to use a URL shortener to um, to get it shortened. Um, you know, we talk about the weaponization of social media and what uh, different countries and and folks are doing to uh, basically manipulate um, people. Well uh, it turns out that the U S (laughs) government and the U S military specifically um, has done a lot. And some of this is coming to light. And um, the gist of the article is that, Um, there's folks who want to get to the bottom of it. So um, there's a lot of um, fake accounts that end up getting taken down. Um, The article says that Colin Cowell, I've never heard of him, but he's the undersecretary for defense for policy, uh, instructed that military commands that engage in psychological operations online provide a full accounting of their activities by next month to the White House. Now, this is interesting because I'm sure a lot of this stuff is covert and they're not exactly excited to, you know, just reveal all this. Uh, Maybe they'll have classified briefings about some of this. Um, It always happens with spy craft and, you know, different kinds of intelligence communities, both military and non-military, that there's a lot of things that happen on each side of, uh, let's just say each side of the Cold War or whatever we're going to call today's conflict with Russia uh, and China as well. But, um, you know, elections are seven, seven weeks away, folks, there's gonna, there's all kinds of things that are going on right now. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be some things that are going to be, Oh, look at this, look what we've discovered. And you know, it's, it's going to be sadly, I think, um, a pretty chaotic and tumultuous time with respect to the use of technology. And this isn't just all going to be, um, foreign agents doing things to the United States. Um, you know, we have offensive cyber capabilities as well. And I think some of those cyber capabilities uh, take the the form of disinformation campaigns. Um, there's a long history of that.
1: Um, so anyway, found that article pretty interesting. Let's see here. Um... Oh, here's one. It's it's actually the opposite article of what I just shared in regards to Canva. This is from the Verge on September 14th. Zoom is reportedly working on calendar and email t- tools to take on Office and Google. And um, I, it, Zoom is so interesting to me because it feels like they should still be doing just fine after the pandemic is over with. And I and I get that their services are dramatically less in demand than they were, say one and a half years ago, but I, I guess I don't know a, a whole lot of people, especially in the distance learning industry, that aren't using Zoom. And in fact, a lot of people abandon other uh, 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 video conferencing protocols in favor of Zoom. So I, I, I just don't know the user or the use case for where you'd want Zoom and and email and um, um, calendar from, from someone other than Google and, and and Microsoft. Like, I guess I that that's really the only one I would choose uh, in, in 99% of scenarios. But I guess good on Zoom for trying to stay relevant. And please stay open because I do think that you're the best video conferencing tool available. Yeah, definitely.
0: Let's see. Um, I haven't managed to get that link shorter, so we'll have to – maybe I'll have to click on that one. Which, by the way, you can get to our links by going to edtechsr dot com slash links um what about that getty banning images
1: oh yeah that's a great one um so uh this is from the verge uh let's see it's today that getty has banned ai generated content over fears of legal challenges and this is a follow-up from our Um, episode last week where we talked about that there are several engines available now they're pretty processor intensive so uh, you can download it to uh, an m1 mac but it does recommend 16 uh, gigs of ram which tells you it's a pretty serious uh tool that that that, uh, stable 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 diffusion i think right stable diffusion right well getty is saying that at this point they're going to ban any ai generated content over fears of legal challenges and um one of the reasons why is because a lot of the generators, you may be able to create unique images with them, but in a lot of cases, they steal um, uh, images from you know open databases in order to create uh, the image. And so for those that, that weren't uh, with us last week when we first started digging through these these tool sets, what it essentially allows you to do is take a, a search query And it will generate an image based on that search query. So, for example, I put um, uh, uh, Montana State Capitol in the winter and it generated a picture of the Montana State Capitol with some kind of fake but still realistic enough to, to dazzle me uh, 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 pieces of snow, um, on, on the image. And the one, the verge is, is, is talking about is actually, um, I think that they try to search, uh, Donald Trump in jail. Um, and it did create an image of Donald Trump in, in jail, but it used one of the, uh, Getty image, um, uh, uh, available on the internet with a watermark on it to make the image. So it, it, it's really a violation, of, of, you know, their intellectual property. So I just thought that was super interesting. And, you know, I think we also reported earlier this summer that a an AI-generated image had uh, actually become, um, uh, or had actually won an art contest. And, you know, there's just a lot of troubling things here, uh, uh, but there seems to be a lot of energy around this image generation uh, as it relates to artificial intelligence.
0: The articles last week were just talking about how, how amazing it was that if you wanted... Because you are like through what would be sort of like a Google search, but a verbal. Oh, great! We're gonna get some some dog interaction going right here. Moose, yeah, talk... Moose is gonna come talk to the your Montana dog. Um, you can mention guys. No, <laughs> the show is gonna be over soon. Um, you can mention the name of an artist. I... And then the in that particular artist style is going to be utilized in the drawing that you're that you're looking at or that is being created by the AI. And so the point that it was making is this is going to this is already in some cases perhaps indistinguishable from the actual art of that. Yeah. Artist. And so there's all kinds of interesting intellectual property, you know, copyright um, sorts of issues. And I'll I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I predict that we are going to see some real controversy uh, leading up to the elections and election season that is going to relate to um, images that are fabricated or deep fake videos that are created. That technology continues to just grow so quickly. And there are lots of uh, benefits as, in terms of financial rewards to people who are going to to be able to do that in the context of an election. And so I think, sadly, I mean, I don't think maybe it's not going on on too much of a limb to say that, but I think yep. we're going to be seeing that in the next couple of months. months. So, well, Dr. Neifer, I think it is almost uh, been an hour. So we probably should share some geeks of the week and uh, and then get out of here.
1: Sure. Well, let me just share a, a quick one here. There's a longer story that goes behind this, but I think I might have even share this one before. But Visible is a, uh, a an alternative phone uh, company that is actually owned by Verizon that sells a plan that's basically $30 a month for unlimited data with unlimited hotspot. And I've played with it on and off over the last couple of years, but they have a new feature that allows you to turn the phone into an eSIM Or or, I'm sorry, the card into an eSIM and iPhone 13 or better had the ability to have both an eSIM and a regular SIM on there for two SIMs on the phone. So I have my $30 a month visible plan. In addition to my T-Mobile plan, and it's on Verizon Towers, which means it's in a lot more rural areas in Montana. So you can actually create kind of a super phone with eSIMs and allow you to access multiple networks at once. So I just uh, a link to Visible in case you're interested in playing with that. And I'll talk about uh, more in future weeks about how that works.
0: As I'm now an iPhone 14 Pro user, um, I I think I remember, can
1: you do multiple eSIMs? Yes, you can. Only one can be actively getting data at any given time, although the iPhone can, will bounce between them if it's necessary. But if, you, if you're if you traveling overseas and you want to get an eSIM, um, which you could buy at the airport in most countries around the earth, you could just add yet another phone line to your phone and not have to uh, pop the SIM out.
0: Well, this brings up a challenge, and if anybody knows the answer, you may know the answer. I would love to be able to have a tool that would let me know, okay, for this location where I am right now, like my wife's school especially, where the, her cell phone coverage is poor, I think everyone has poor coverage, but I'd love to know, hey, this is how good T-Mobile's network is, this is how good AT&T is, this is how good Verizon is, in terms of, of you know, comparing, because we're we're in a new location, and um I, I'm having okay coverage, but
1: yeah, that, totally. I don't
0: know. I don't know that there's a tool you can get to do that. But what you're describing here would kind of come close because at least you can tell whether the two manufacture the two cell, uh, ESIM, you know, t- tower companies, whatever. The, th- those yeah. two are how they how they stack up and compare. All right, uh, my gig of the week. Um, <laughs> this is really amazing. I set this up tonight and I just put this uh, picture on Facebook. Uh, smart strip lights. This is called a Govee smart LED strip lights, 50 feet long, $34. Amazing. Fully compatible with both the Google Assistant and with uh, Madam A. And uh, just a Google… An incredible number of colors and uh, settings, and you can do all these scenes. And oh my gosh, it's just, it's amazing. So I, I set that up uh, tonight in our sunroom. And uh, incredibly, Amazon has same day shipping. So I ordered that this morning and, and got it. And then finally, um, I have rebooted the Story Chasers website. So for 10 years, Story Chasers was a 501c3 nonprofit that I helped lead with uh, several other educators in Oklahoma. And that shut down as a nonprofit in 2019. And the website's actually been offline because it got corrupted in WordPress and whatever. So last night, I just rebuilt the whole thing in Google Sites. And I'm looking forward to doing a workshop uh, that's going to be about iPad digital storytelling here in a little less than a month in a local co-working space. So you can check out www.storychasers.org. I would love to be able to get the mapping to work where the Google site for just storychasers.org resolved but I've never figured that out. And I don't think you can do that for a Google site. I think it's only, you know, you have to have a C name like www or something else, but that's a real geeky question. And uh, we might have a listener that knows the answer to that. So if you do, let me know. Dr. Knifer, where can folks find you when you are not sharing your knowledge and impressing us with your Montana state flag and many analog books here on the show.
1: Base their best place to find me. Twitter
0: tech savvy teach and you, sir. I am W Fryer on Twitter. com slash after is the best place to find links to follow me. So this has been the EdTech Situation Room. We are a weekly show that meets now at 9 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Mountain. Thank you, Dr. Knife, for starting earlier. You can find all of our show notes on edtechsr.com slash links. Our shows are automatically archived to both YouTube and Facebook, <clears throat> where – Peggy George is joining us live on YouTube, and we're so happy that you joined us, Peggy. Great to have you here. If you can join us live, we'd love for you to, uh, but reach out, let us know, feedback for the show. Uh, I promise at some point here in the not-too-distant future, we will again resume publishing small uh, 32-kilobit mp3 audio versions of our show and compressed video versions as well but um i'll just blame that on the move it's been a little bit crazy but i'll get back into that cycle so i want to thank everybody for tuning in and remember to stay savvy stay safe especially uh remember to lock down those passwords and uh, don't respond to those phishing you know text messages or emails that you get because they're getting tricky out there folks
1: take care good night